Firstly, we need to premise this talk by saying that we have recently been listening to Spring Harvest at home. And the theme of the conference has been about worship and having a God who is unrivaled. And this has been a great encouragement and challenge to us and has really reignited um, the vision and passion that we have for worship, not just our sung worship and how we express this corporately, but in a broader whole life definition. And it's safe to say that we have wrestled with what worship looks like over the last year. And we've learned a lot and we don't have all of the answers by any means. So actually, condensing a talk on worship to 15 minutes has been a huge challenge. Um, but we've really tried to pick out some key points that will hopefully bring encouragement and perhaps enable us to start asking ourselves what worship looks like for us personally um, and together as a church as we continue our series Emerge. And over the last year, our traditional ways of worshipping have been thrown into complete chaos. And it's caused us to take a step back and really think about what worship is. What is it all about? Who is it all about? What's really important and what is secondary? And singing together is a ch as a church has been the main thing that we personally have missed. And I know there will be a longing in many of us to join together and sing in the same place. But that said, uh, we are also very aware this season has caused us to take more ownership and responsibility of how we worship. What is certain is that God hasn't changed and he is still worthy of our worship. And it's so important that we acknowledge how hard it's been adjusting to things like live streams and new ways of doing things. But we also need to look at what God is saying to us moving forwards. So this morning, we just want to consider the following, which is what is worship? Why do we, who do we worship, sorry? Why do we worship and how do we worship? So if we think about what worship is, well, it's probably good to look at what it isn't. And there is a great quote by Nick Drake, who is the associate pastor at Gas Street Church. And he says, worship has become a narrow word for church music when it should be a broad word, meaning a life lived for the one who creates, sustains and perfects all things. Now, that isn't to say that we're not going to talk about song worship because it is abundantly clear that it forms a huge part of how we worship. And you have probably picked up from us that we are really passionate about it. But we wanted to begin by stressing that it is so much more than this. It's how we should be living our whole lives. And as it says in Romans 12, verse 1, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Worship is about an ongoing revelation of who God is and what he has done, which then leads to a response. It's about intimacy and relationship being known by and knowing God. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. This response to revelation isn't one-off either. And our relationship with God is a journey. Our revelation um, of who he is, is a continual thing. And that's the same for our response. What is inevitable is that we will all worship something. And uh, Tim Hughes says, whatever has our heart's affection, mind's attention and soul's ambition effectively has our worship. The question is, who or what are we worshipping? So, who do we worship? And what better place to start than by than considering, um, by thinking about who God is in his very nature? Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Grappling with this mystery is fundamental to our understanding of worship. Theologically speaking, we worship God the three in one, 
we worship God the Father, we worship God the Son, we worship God the Spirit. And Ephesians 2 verse 18 also reminds us that through Jesus we have access in one spirit to the Father. The Trinity is very much at work in both the who and the how of our worship. And there are many words and names, attributes used to describe God. Holy, sovereign, king, friend, love, kind, generous, gracious, redeemer. There's so many words throughout the Bible that are used and ones that we use in the songs that we sing very often. But at the end of the day, words themselves will always fall short. Our God is indescribable. And what makes our worship particularly special is that we worship in the light of the gospel. The gospel has completely transformed the way we worship. Because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, we're no longer subject to set rituals or practices, procedures, in order to come into the presence of God. Instead, we are now encouraged to draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, as it says in Hebrews 4. This is massive. Jesus has made a way, not for us to simply be allowed into the presence of God, but to draw close, to be intimate. And may we never take that for granted. When we look at Jesus, we see the fullness of God. It's all about him. Absolutely everything. He is the very centre of the universe and should be the very centre of our worship, our very lives. So moving on, why do we worship And if I were to pick a single reason as to why we worship, it would be simply this, because God is worthy. Considering who he is and what he has done is and should be enough. Hebrews 12 verses 28 to 29 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. We're not just invited to worship, we were created to worship. The Westminster Catechism states that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And part of understanding this should affect the way we approach it. If we do worship, if we see it about the songs we sing before the preach, then we make it about us. Well, I don't like that song. I don't like that worship leader. However, true worship cannot be manufactured or manipulated. If we instead um, recognise that worship itself is a gift from God, something that we are invited into and experience God's presence through, then we can't help but go away changed. And being really honest with you, we ended up struggling with this quite a lot when leading the worship team in Manchester. To start with, we very much saw what we did as a gift. We found it life-giving and full of strength. But after many years of serving, we found we started to burn out. Looking back now, we realised that we had subtly, and it was subtly over the course of many years, we made what we were doing a to-do list. It was about what we did rather than remembering it was a gift. Everything became about the Sunday morning meetings and getting the rotor done. And in the process, we neglected our personal relationships with God and with each other. And this is so important as well. Another thing we wanted to share is that when we worship, change happens. Whilst this isn't the reason we worship, time spent in worship benefits us. 
It enlarges our vision of God. It helps us lift our eyes and take our perspective off, off our situations and gain fresh perspective, God's perspective. And we see many examples of this throughout the Bible, how worship brought change, such as in 2 Chronicles 20, we read about King Jehoshaphat, and he, where he used worship as a weapon. He saw the Lord cause his enemies to turn on each other as a direct result of his praises. Or um, in Acts, Paul and Silas are in prison and immediately saw chains coming loose and salvation of the jailer taking place after they sung a hymn. There are loads of other examples we could use. But one in particular I wanted to draw attention to is found in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And this is when David is asked to play an instrument to soothe Saul's spirit. Here we see the power of music at work and how God can use instruments to bring healing and deliverance. And I remember also distinctly one Sunday morning when uh, Ben was in hospital, so he was born nine weeks prematurely, and Naomi and I at that time were not able to visit him due to it being ward rounds on the Sunday morning. Often on a Sunday around that time, we'd sneak into, the, into church at the back, uh, not wanting anyone to notice we were there, and we'd just stay for the sung worship. Being honest, we found it really hard at that time to sing, but there was something incredibly powerful about being in the presence of God together with other Christians and allowing those in the room to sing over us. God used that to minister us, and I wonder if that's also why Paul encourages us to sing to one another in Ephesians 5. So moving on then, how do we worship? And I think the bulk of what we're bringing this morning is about the how. And we've said before that worship isn't just about corporate singing. But there are plenty of examples of how God's people express their worship through music and song. There are about 400 verses in the Bible that talk about singing alone, and 50 of these are direct exhortations to do so. Just to mention a few, th- uh, just to mention a few we're encouraged to sing praises to God in Psalm 47. Sing to the Lord a new song, Psalm 96. Make music, make a joyful noise, praise him on the instruments. Sing to one another, as I've just shared. And singing is significant. It has this amazing beauty about it where you can combine unity with diversity, melody with harmony. And it also helps us to remember truth. It's, I find it personally a lot easier to remember song lyrics than scriptures. But that also means that the, the theology of the songs we sing is so important. We want to make sure what we're singing, whether we're on our own or together, um, is truth is, and is feeding us um, good things. And music is also something that has the power to transcend cultural and language barriers. It can be understood by anyone in any language. It's also worth mentioning with this that there's no mention in the Bible about needing to have perfectly in tune voices. And I know Gary is really pleased that that is the case. So uh, I added that in for effect. <laughs> in the Bible, we see other examples as well, such as clapping, shouting praise, dancing, raising hands, bowing down being silent, art, craft, poetry, the list goes on. But the key with whatever your expression looks like is the heart behind it. And Naomi's going to touch on this now. Yeah, so the other thing to sort of think about when we're considering how we worship is that we should come as we are. And it isn't always about beautiful singing. And please don't be under any illusions that, you know, either Chris or I wake up in the morning and the first thing we do is, you know, leap into into worship time. It really isn't. And um, you may have seen some of the family worship times that we have done at home. And, you know, with that, we would just have... um, a camera recording but we would just then worship with our kids 
and it was messy and one would push the other midway through or ask for a snack or say they were tired. Um, but for us, that's been such a special time of yeah. just worshipping um, with our kids and just coming as we are. We don't have to have it all together. Jesus encourages us to come to him in our brokenness, with our sin, our shortcomings and fears, and lay it before him, knowing that because of Jesus, we can worship in this way. It isn't about presenting our best, it's about being real. We can worship when we feel low, through lament, as Sarah shared last week, and in our grief. And there is no denying that the last year has been extremely difficult. And there have been times where both Chris and I have struggled with our mental health. But one thing we have realised is that we never come away from spending time with God and worshipping him feeling worse. And it's okay to pour out our anxieties and our fears and frustration. How we worship is personal and unique to us. Use the gifts that God has given you. For some, that is singing or playing. For others, it might be poetry or art. Everyone's worship is different, but it is equally valid. So how do we worship with our lives? And we've said before that corporate sung worship is only a small part of what it means to worship God. At the centre of worship is honour. We should long to honour God with our whole lives, including our choices, words and actions in all sorts of ways. And these will vary depending on our giftings, skills and where God has placed us. This also involves dealing with any aspects of our lives where we know we are not honouring God. Shane Claiborne says, we can worship Jesus without following him. This is a scary and challenging thought. We can be passionately singing songs on a Sunday morning, but what does our worship look like at work on a Monday morning, when we're doing the school run or when we're out with our friends? If worship of God does not propel us to show love and compassion to those around us, then it is just noise. And we read in Amos 5, away with the noise of your songs. Instead, let justice roll on like a river. When we think about worship in our lifestyle, we can, can think of two aspects of this. And the first is around our call to respond to the injustices and environmental issues around us. In Proverbs 31, it says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. This is something I have really wrestled with because I've always passionately believed that worship and justice are intrinsically linked and that I cannot say that I love God and then ignore the injustices that go on around me. Homelessness, poverty, human trafficking, these are just a few. But knowing where to start and what my response should be is not always easy. And I heard a really useful suggestion from Ruth Valerio, who works for Tear Fund, and that is to use the gap approach. Give, act, pray. Not all of us will feel prompted to do all three of these things, and we might not be able to, but we can definitely do at least one of them. And I've just been having a think about some examples of things that we you know, could be involved in. Adoption and fostering, this is something that is massively on God's heart. Now, we may not all be in a position to foster or adopt, but we can pray for those who are taking this step. We can think how we can support those around us. Supporting our local food bank, and it's great that as a church, we're looking at how we can partner more. Working with local schools to, to support vulnerable families. Considering how we care for our planet. 
um, and our environment considering what coffee or products we buy or what suppliers we use. And the second way that worship forms part of our lifestyle is considering where God has placed us, either in our day-to-day -day jobs, school, hobbies. Wherever we spend our time is where we have the opportunity to worship God through our actions and attitudes. We don't have to separate spiritual and secular or make it something else that we have to do. For me at the moment, the question I ask myself is how can I honour God in the way I lead my team at work? How can I be God's mouthpiece at the school gate? How can I bless my neighbours? We know we don't have to do acts of service to be loved by God, and none of this is about a should or an ought. But when we have revelation of who God is, how he loves us, how he loves our communities and our neighbours and our planet and our work colleagues, it causes us to respond. But the key with all of this, because we can be very passionate about our environment and our communities, but if we are doing that without the ongoing daily revelation of who God is and remembering that it's all about Jesus, then we do it in our own strength. Jesus is the centre of everything. So we've looked at the what, the who, the why and the how of worship, but what does worship look like for us as we emerge? moving forward and I think you know we've we've talked a lot between us about what key things to say and I think it just ultimately comes down to one thing in our mind and that is don't limit worship you know worship doesn't cease when we can't meet together in the same way I mean this last year has taught us this worship shouldn't be bound by church walls and we are very much aware that live streams are incredibly challenging for all of us in different ways we're also aware that many people struggle to fully engage with them or engage with them at all, not least those with us with young children. If you are able to engage with them, let me encourage you, though, to try and get past the awkwardness that there is when worshipping with a screen. And it is awkward. It is unnatural. It feels weird. And it, of course, it doesn't replace the beauty that there is when we all worship and join together in the same place. But I was personally really challenged when Tim Hughes encouraged Spring Harvest uh, recently to do exactly this, get past our preconceived ideas of how worship should look and realise that God can move through Zoom, through YouTube, through Facebook. He's not bound by time or technology. But if you're not able to engage with the live streams, try and find ways to connect with God and with others in whatever way works, as we've heard about in other aspects this morning. That may mean singing along to worship music in your car on the way to work. It may mean poetry or painting. Whatever it looks like for you, try not to let the preconceived ideas of how worship should look or how you've thought it always has looked get in the way. So just to recap then, worship is about an ongoing revelation of who God is and what he has done, which then leads to a response. It's about intimacy and relationship. We worship the indescribable living God whose very nature is Trinity and the gospel has completely transformed the way we worship. It's all about Jesus. We worship because he is worthy and we are created to. It is a gift, not a to-do or something we must do. Worship brings change and transformation. And we worship through various expressions, including singing and other things, but ultimately through our whole lives, in the everyday. It's all about honouring Jesus with everything.
So bringing this into land, whatever form our worship takes, it should start from a place of thankfulness. Thankfulness for who God is and the sacrifice that Jesus made, that has made worship as we know it now even possible. So what better way for us to respond now than to spend some time worshipping together and taking communion? I'm going to read a scripture, then pray, and then Max is going to lead us in sung worship. And let me encourage you, whilst Max is leading, to take the bread and wine wherever you are and use this time to pause, fix your eyes on Jesus, remember Jesus, give thanks, and allow your spirit to fully engage in worship. So I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26, which says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray together. Father God, I just thank you that we can come before you now in worship. We are so thankful for the sacrifice that Jesus has made. Thank you that as a result, as a direct result of it, we know life. We can know you and come into your presence, God. And we, we take this time now to remember the pain, the suffering that Jesus went through. And we use it as an opportunity to proclaim his death until he comes again. Amen.